Support for this week's episode of Screen Talk comes from Amazon Studios presenting Honey Boy, written by and starring Shia LaBeouf. This moving portrait of recovery traces LaBeouf's early childhood as a young actor and his stormy relationship with his father. Rolling Stone raves that it's a dazzling high-wire act as actor and screenwriter. LaBeouf offers an intimate and deeply involving confessional, also starring Oscar nominee Lucas Hedges and breakthrough actor Noah Jupe, awards eligible. For your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, Best Director, Alma Harrell, and Best Original Screenplay, Shia LaBeouf, now playing in theaters. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And, and we got a lot of stuff to do today because we have our top 10 list. And uh, there have been a lot of awards announcements in the last few days. So let's start with that piece of the equation and just kind of dig through some of the highlights from Golden Globes to SAGs. There was the Critics' Choice nominations. And it doesn't feel, as far as I can tell, like there were a lot of huge shifts to the big narratives we've been talking about in terms of the movies that are getting out there, Netflix scoring big and all that kind of stuff. But what would you sort of characterize as the surprise of sorts in terms of the bigger things happening right now? Well, early on when I was filling out some of my um, prediction charts, I recognized as everyone did, that the best actor category was super, super competitive. And I put Christian Bale in there ahead of Robert De Niro. And that is sort of happening in, in terms of, because if you, you you can look at um, all the different critics groups, including um, for, forgive the expression, the Hollywood foreign press, um, they're not really film critics, but they're not, um, members of the industry either. They are media and critics choice. They are media. Um, so you're, if you, t- if you sort of put, you know, the momentum that has been created for the Irishman or, or, or marriage story, the Netflix movies or 1917 or parasite, all these films, once upon a time in Hollywood, these are the front runners, put them and, and Jojo rabbit has done very well as well. Put, put them over on the side. Y- you have to recognize that, SAG is actually the influential one. Because there's real Oscar voters there. It's an overlap. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger group. It's the, the nominating committee is 2,500 people that are picked fresh every year. Um, and, and the Oscar branch of the, the acting branch of the, of the Academy is the biggest, the dominant branch, but it's about half of, of what the, of what the SAG voters are. And the SAG voters are way more mainstream, um, than, than the Oscar voters. But you have to recognize that a movie like Bombshell is doing very well with the actors. Yeah. And, you know, it got four acting noms. The others got three, the, the fourth one being, uh, stunt. So, so Irishman and, and and marriage marriage story and 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 bombshell all did well, but I mean, there's no surprise that these are actors centric movies anyway. I, mean, I was I, I got the sense story people didn't get ensemble. That's that's true, but it's a smaller ensemble than some of the other. I mean, or less. I mean, it's the it's the sort ensemble of a in, in marriage. Really, or yeah, it's seen as more. Yeah, you yeah. could make the argument the ensemble is what makes it work, but it's like the lawyers are a separate category or something. Bombshell. I was sort of intrigued by how people. We're characterizing 
the presence of it to the extent that it was there in SAG as a surprise because to me it's like it looks like an actor's movie and you watch it it's like it's all about love it or hate it those performances drive the movie no question the style. no question I mean, actually Manola Dargis wrote a really good review of Bombshell today where she recognized all the skill and and artistry involved in making it at the same time that she, you know, found a few things that she was uncomfortable with. Um, yeah, it's imperfect as a movie, but it but it goes down easier than you might expect to a I large degree. It. I, think, I enjoyed of the it. I did, but I, it's not the movie I put on my 10 best list. And the question mm-hmm. of whether, even if it has actor support that's this strong, um, whether it gets into best picture is a whole nother question. It, 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 may, it may or may not. Jojo Rabbit is doing very well across the board, I have to say. Um, it's a crowd pleaser, and everybody in that movie is popular. I mean, it just I'm sort of surprised that it's playing as well as it has in a season that's just so competitive with so many different but things. But you have to but give guess, it points. Yeah. But the really big news was Parasite being one of the uh, cast of a motion picture nominees because – Roma didn't even get that. Roma didn't Parasite even get Parasite is it. insane. I mean, not only that, but Bong Joon-ho getting Best Director uh, nominated for the Golden Globes, even though the movie itself couldn't get a nomination for Best Drama because it, it didn't qualify. I thought that was really fascinating. No, the strength you know, like- for, for Parasite is huge across the board, whereas you could look at, at The Irishman and see there are conflicts there. People don't like the de-aging. The issue of the look of Robert De Niro is is significant. It is not going to go away. Even if it got 14 critics' choice nods, you know, leading all the other uh, films that, you know, in that in that group. Um, and the critics' choice are often very um, predictive. You know, they, they happen to match up with the Oscars very well. So you have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 12. Little Women got nine, and then it got shut out from SAG. Well, Which that's a, is a that's big a, sign of weakness. And also, well, I revisited that movie on a screener, and um, it's you can tell that it's. It, I mean, it's. It, I would be surprised if a lot of actors don't respect everything going on in that movie. But at the same time, the movie itself is not for everyone. It's because it's, it's structurally can confuse people, and you know, I think it's very well executed. But it's also not. It's it does seem to divide people to an extent where I wonder if that trickles down to the way the performances themselves are, are being perceived. The way that I so. read the room, you know, I, I perceive little women as a commercial movie. I think it's going to do well with, with audiences. I think it plays well with audiences. I think it has support from critics to some degree, not unanimously. It has support from actors and it has support from writers, but not as many actors as I thought. Because SAG should have gone for it, and they didn't. No Florence Pugh, no Sir Ronan, and no ensemble. It got nothing from them. And it's again, it's also just a, it's a very competitive moment, so that you may be seeing that side of things too. It's also very so. interesting to listen to the conversation of of how Golden Globes, which is a very white, very old, very uh, male dominated group. Mm-hmm. Um, how 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 they left out Greta Gerwig from from Best Director, and, and 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 you know the truth of the matter is there may be five movies, six movies, seven movies that are better directed than Little Women. It's okay. It's not. I'm not. I'm not saying something horrible 
if I if I suggest that there may be a lot of movies directed by men that are better directed than the best movies of the year directed well, by women. Well, we're going to go down this route. I think that we've been through this side of the conversation many times before. This is a, 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 it's a related form of the Oscars so white conversation, which is that there or film festivals in Europe struggling against the conversation related to gender parity, which is that it's simply not enough. I think from a cultural standpoint and from the kind of way in which people who are not in the industry see these events to say that, I'm sorry, but there were better movies than XYZ. It's, it's, it suggests that maybe we're not looking at these movies the right way. And if people are being celebrated, like everybody loves Charlize in part because she's Charlize, not exclusively tied to just so if she was a nobody, you know, it would be much harder for her to get nominated. Something like Greta Gerwig. I don't agree with her. If by some remote chance, a, a, an a actress was discovery. able to com- supply the power and glory that she supplies in Bombshell out of nowhere, they would get recognized. Well, and I think that, that it, there is this open question, though, with somebody like Greta Gerwig, where it's like, if, uh, you know, if she if this movie was directed by, uh, you know, Tom Hooper or some somebody who does that it kind of stuff. It would be less in the conversation. I, I mean, it's, it's, but I, I don't She's know. Getting, I mean, I think the that question there is, is whether I'm so saying hard. some very politically incorrect things right now. I recognize I adore her. I think she's incredibly talented. I've been rooting for her for her entire career. I am so proud of her. I think that, that you don't want to be judged on a curve is, is, is my question. Do you, do you want to take a, a nomination away this from Martin Scorsese argument. or Pedro Almodovar but, or but Noah Baumbach, her that, partner? who's made the best movie of his career in well, order to I'm make saying, room for her. I, I actually agree with this logic as, from a purely aesthetic standpoint, but I also think that because of what these events are, they may have to figure out a way to counteract. They have to have more in other ways. because the truth of the matter is that she's coming in sixth or seventh. There yeah, need to be more some than slots five. That could help. There need to be, according to some, According to some people, some people are putting her at number one. Some people love this movie so much that they think it's the best directed movie of the year. But if you get the consensus going, judging from all the different groups that have voted so far, I would suggest to you that there, the Critics Choice Awards has her in directing because they have seven slots. They made for seven slots because they wanted to include her. Well, this also, is part of what know. you're talking about. Yeah, that's either it's it's either it's a slot, is it a special award? I'm not that that I mean some people would find that insulting too, but I'm just saying that there are ways to address this in a, in a, that, that could at least counteract the narrative that but it's not you know, they don't care about part. representation. It's not representation is part of this. I for example, I'm happy to say this I put in a big bid in my in my ballot for the Critics' Choice Awards for Alma Harrell for Honey Boy, because when she spoke that out about this movie, in, in a very interesting nobody, way. That, that I challenge anyone. I mean, no one could have made that work as well as she did, and without her, it wouldn't have done, gotten done. Oh yeah, but she had the relationship to Shia right. and, and was able. She to She wrangled him. him. She got the script out of him. She got the performance out of him, and and cast it and made it work. That movie's remarkable. Um, but I mean, I, you know, these conversations to me are frustrating in other kinds of ways because I seen a lot of great movies directed by women throughout this year that don't have 
you know, the slightest chance of rising to this level of conversation. Atlantic or Joanna Hall. Jennifer yeah, Kent I mean, for the Nightingale. Uh, so many good the, things. Lulu Wong for the lighthouse. For listen to me, the lighthouse, the farewell. Yeah, it's all blurring. These, yeah, these no, are exactly. very well. Uh, uh, Chinoya Chukwu for for clemency. Yeah. What's happened is that Little Women has become the movie that they that everybody has decided, and so has the farewell to a degree. There are two that have been anointed as the ones that are going to move forward in the awards conversation, as a, as opposed to all the other ones. Right. I mean, I think that's that's sort of at the heart of all this that, that I think can be frustrating is that the whole system can be very political and, and campaign oriented. And then whatever ends up rising up to a certain level, it's going to be subjected to all, everybody else competing for those slots, irrespective of whatever kind of outcome we want from a representational standpoint. So, you know, it's, no one person is driving this ship. And it's bound to disappoint a lot of people, and that's why there there probably need to be some other solutions here. There is one other thing from nominees. Well, well, we need way. more movies, you know, that are and and you know what? Well, yes, we, we need Eric, a lot of there, stuff. There are some stats. There are there are indicators that there are more top ten movies in the grosses. There are more movies being made by women. It, it is the needle is well, moving. Hollywood is going out of its way to give ne- Marvel movies to, to next women. Like, next year looks promising in that respect but i think it's it's also just a question of getting the really strong movies made by women out and into the world and distributed and, and well released there's like progress these being others. made a lot more needs to come and people need to be given experience that's the thing if you think about it little women is not the same as as ladybird ladybird was her hometown very autobiographical very not she knew what she was doing she knew exactly it was the big movie of her life that she had been working on for years this was the big breakout uh uh autobiographical thing and and little women is an adapt an adaptation of an an american classic it is a, a material she knew very well and she managed to pitch it and get it uh because she had a take on it that was so strong this was before she made lady bird but but it it's also period. Well, I mean, sometimes and period, period dramas do really well. I, I I really like Little Women. Second time I saw it, I liked it too. There's a lot of really strong stuff in that movie. So I don't want to say like say I like, like it's it somehow too. you know I love it lesser than Lady Bird or whatever. I mean, they're so fundamentally different that it's, it's it just feels like two different conversations. But um, but I, there is something else about nominees this week. There's one other uh, movie that did really well with the Globes that I wanted to focus on because I remember the last time I brought up this movie as potentially having a lot of momentum around it, you weren't really in agreement, but I'm curious to know what you make about how well Joker did from the Globes because it really feels like this movie's got a lot of love. Both did really well. These are two movies that don't have a lot of critical support, but much more respect from the industry. Yeah, but I mean, Joker is, it's also a huge, huge blockbuster hit that has had a, I would say more than it that critics don't like it, it's that it, it divides, it's created a massive conversation. Remember, it's an enormous hit, so it is yeah. a popular film. So um, that just suggests to me this movie has significant momentum going through the I end of the year. But I knew it was really well made. I knew that the Academy would respect the craftsmanship. The most likely win for the Joker, if it were going to win anything, I think it's going to get nominated a lot and not win very much. 
the real contest is between Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm very curious to see how that goes because it's between a character that you don't like, (laughs) who's, who's executed with extraordinary um, authority by Joaquin Phoenix and a, and a character that you do like very much. And you feel a great deal of empathy for uh, played by uh, I, I like Driver. him, and then sometimes I don't like him. He's got his moments, you know. That's what's good about the movie. It is a very complicated, yeah. layered performance. There's um, a lovely piece that A.O. Scott wrote about him in the New York Times. Great package of awards uh, interviews, a good long interview with Brad Pitt in the New York Times Magazine this weekend, which I recommend. Yeah, so that show, you're right, that showdown is going to be fascinating to watch. But, I mean, but the obviously Joker's the best picture. That- I mean... He's the one who actually makes Joker work. Also, I mean, there's goodwill for Adam Driver, but Phoenix has been a beloved actor even longer and going the extra mile in ways that I think Driver doesn't necessarily. I mean, it's not to say Driver doesn't have range per se, but he certainly is not quite as gonzo as Phoenix is. And actors seem responsive to that. But they love being alive. (laughs) Yeah, Seriously, I mean, look, the song. So do I. The song gets him the Oscar. That's why it's a close race. Yeah, although I mean, you I've, can't I've rewatched it a Sondheim. few times. It's funny. It's like I wonder. I, I I would be curious to know what the divide is on the being alive thing. It's like some people. I think I've talked to some people who really like him, and other people who are like, he sounds good, but he doesn't really perform the song. And I wonder. You know, if oh, the conversation that's around people that. People who are in musical theater. Well, are, there's value in that that's argument. A, Eric, that's a tiny, 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 minuscule percentage of the people who, who are actors who appreciate the acting that went on in, in the song. Yeah, but is, that, is, about, that, is there acting in the song? It's about telling the story of the movie and the character. I think the song has more singing than it does acting. That's no, sort of what the argument so. is. Because the acting. bulk of the bulk of the scene he's just at the mic singing he hits the notes it's amazingly not a, well i no, love the scene by the way it's not about the singing it's about the acting and the singing it's about how he go, go how the back and watch it changes how the character he's expressing something by singing. no i get that but i get what's what the scene is doing i'm just saying that the, the final passage of the song is he's mostly kind of just standing there at the mic and he's not super physical he's not doing a lot with his face so it really does. It's emotional. Come down to it. It's about how he's expressing. The, the, it's it's about how the character moves from one place to another. It's about well, leaving be interesting to the keep old relationship <laughs> behind and going on to something else. It's really I, amazing. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I know that's why the song is there, but I'm amused by the um, the conversation about just how much performance is happening versus versus song in that. They're respect. the same. They're they're one and the same. Hmm. All right, well, let's do our top 10 list. All right, because, if you uh, want to do that. The only other point I was going to make is that if you look at the SAG Award nominations, the Best Picture winner, if you look at all the stats, is going to, uh, assuming Bombshell is not the one, which it won't be, is going to be Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jojo Rabbit, or The Irishman, those four. And one of those movies will win Best Picture. That's correct, because Joker's not there, Marriage Story's not there, Ford v. Ferrari's not there, Little Women isn't there, and neither is 1917, which broke late. We have to remember that some of these, Little Women and 1917, were late-breaking movies, and they could still do well with the Oscars. And they will, yeah. actually. I mean, it, I think, you know, before, this is what I was saying before, it's like you said the front runners were 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and um, Irishman and doesn't feel like, despite some of the interesting developments we've been talking about today with Bombshell and Joker, that anything is fundamentally changed about that. No, I would argue that the one thing that is really clear is that Parasite could win Best Picture. Which would be awesome. So let's let's keep looking at that one. I mean, I love seeing director Bong on uh, late night. I know TV. he's charming. That's freaking wild. He's they got charming. him on there with right, a let's do the tem- translator. Right, let's do the tem- and, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll be talking about this movie again in a second. We would what, like what's that. your, what's your number 10. It's always fun doing this because I know I already published my top 19 and all that kind of stuff, but I think that talking it through in this context, it's just a reminder of what a specific process this is and, you know, how it helps you kind of work through the year and movies in a very different way than, you know, what we're doing when we talk about awards buzz or whatever. So let's, um, let's go one at a time. You can start with your, your number 10 and then I'll give you mine. My number 10 is in my mind, a 2018 movie because uh, it really opened around the world and everywhere before it opened in, in the United States in March of this year. And that's Christian Petzold's transit which is a a fabulous, must-see German movie, atmospheric, a little bit of a genre piece, a little bit of a thriller, a mystery of of this guy who's trapped in Marseille. It it almost has a feeling of a movie like, like an old World War II movie, like To Have and Have Not or something, you know, where people are lost and they're strangers and you don't know who's who and, and what's going on. And it just has this extraordinary, um, uh, feel about it that that makes you wonder what the hell is going to happen next. I love transit. I love Christian Petzold. I have to admit, I still I still haven't seen this movie oh, Eric, in part because of the reasons. I know it's it, well. It's interesting because I, I haven't been to Berlin in a while. When it premiered at Berlin, it was on my radar, and then it came out much later, which is how it qualifies for your list. And I think there's just something about the timing of that, that it just slipped further and further off my radar. But now, of course, I'm going to have to go watch this freaking movie and tell you what I think. I mean, I, I love Barbara. <laughs> I thought Phoenix was amazing. He's a, Barbara's a great movie. Nina yeah, he's a talent, he's always worth watching. As a, it's just, he's got this very subtle kind of character-based He's my favorite approach. German director working there right now. And, and, so that's a good one. Well, my top 10 is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which uh, I saw at Cannes and... Um, had to revisit to kind of rejuvenate it in my mind as I did for a lot of films on this list. And I felt like on the second time around, I was just really struck by just how measured it is. The the details that go into creating the sense of attraction between these two women at a moment in time when they, they really don't have the words to express it, but also just the movie is gorgeous. I mean, it's almost like a musical. There's a musicality to the way that it's structured and it really kept resonating for me. And Celine Sciamma, you know, she's four for four, man. One of the, one of the great filmmakers working right now, I love period, her. not just in France. So number nine, I love that movie. Um, it's close. It was close. It almost made my list. Um, I love, I, 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 I saw it at Cannes uh, with you. I think that the, uh, the French and Shyama in particular do this kind of bodice ripping period, uh, high energy, high emotion, romantic movie better than anyone. And uh, I, I loved it. What's your number nine? Number nine, number nine, number nine is Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory, which I also saw at Cannes. And um, I have, um, this is one of those movies that um, 
I didn't realize how much I loved it when I first saw it. And it has come to grow over time. And my appreciation of what Antonio Banderas does in the movie has grown over time as well. Um, the idea that he's playing his close friend, his mentor, that he is uh, play, pay, playing someone who's older and frailer and more conflicted um, than anyone he's ever done. And and he brings a kind of vulnerability and... Um, um, he had a heart attack a couple years ago, and that's part of it. He's um, exquisite in this movie. There's a scene where he and his old lover uh, kiss at the doorway that just brought tears uh, to my eyes. Um, and and I think uh, uh, this is one of the great movies of the year. It's so exciting to be talking about Antonio Banderas like this again. I mean, he's always been... A terrific actor and if you go back to those early Almodovar films I mean he was amazing then too but it's been a while since the, you know he had a, a role that was this rich and exciting and I, I just as an aside I'm going to Spain at the end of the month for vacation and, and spending a night in Malaga and I got tickets to see him in a Spanish language version of a chorus line this is why he isn't so, here in LA working exactly. on getting nominated it's, it's open, he opened a new theater company and this is the first production and I think that's they right. want to take it to New York I'm and envious. stuff but it's just it's but that that's like it's such a great illustration of what he can do so many different kinds of Roles, You've got to go know, backstage, to go Eric. We'll see. We'll see. To be continued. So my number nine is another movie that I've revisited and, and really just appreciate how layered and sophisticated it is, and that's The Farewell. And and when I saw it at Sundance, I was obviously I, I really liked it, but I think what what deepened for me about that appreciation when I revisited it is how unclassifiable it is. It's like it's it, you, you go into a movie like that and you expect, you know, family dramedy, and it is that to some degree. But I like the way it explores both Asian-American identity, Chinese families, and also something that's just sort of more universal about kind of being a, a younger person and trying to reconcile your frustrations with where you come from with a genuine affection for the people who brought you into the world. And like that, doing that through the way this film is assembled, this, the su- sudden way in which it almost becomes like a, like an expressionistic music video in the end with a lot of these really interesting sequences, but starting from a very naturalistic place is just an incredibly rich and complex piece of filmmaking with Aquafina, you know, doing something that I think really kicks up her talent to a whole new level. So, you know, this is a movie that I just, I keep appreciating more and more as I think about it. I love this movie. It's, it's probably my number 11. Um, it's, um, it's remarkable how Lulu Wang was able to take a personal story and because she was doing it on uh, This American Life, found an authentic way to convince people that this was worth doing as a movie. And she got backing and she was able to tell the story the way she wanted to tell it. And I um, truly admire uh, this movie. And yet your number eight is Les Miserables. This is another Cannes movie. A lot of Cannes movies on my list. Um, it's, it's, it's the uh, French entry for the Oscar. 
And uh, it was sort of pitted against uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, actually. And and I admire it very much. Laj Lee started out uh, as a, a young man in this terrible neighborhood in Paris, who is uh, who was given opportunities to learn filmmaking and express himself from filmmaking and built up this community of people around him and did shorts and did docs. And, and finally, this is his first feature and it just based on um, a short and it's just extraordinary what he's able to do with, with the actors, with the editing, with the tension of these three cops in this really miserable neighborhood uh, who are in conflict with all these different groups and these children who, who are, are after them too. And it, it just is, um, it, it blew my mind, this movie. And I yeah, can't I wait was, to see what he does next. The one thing I'll say about Les Mis is it has one of the best endings of the year after maybe pain and glory. The rest of the movie we can have a longer we've had longer conversations about, but it's I, I think uh, it made sense that they chose to set it as its submission because it certainly leaves people almost stunned with that the way it wraps up. What's yours? But, uh, my number eight is Us, a movie that uh, getting away from the can of it all uh, and the Sundance of it all launched at South by Southwest in in a really exciting context because it was, you know, this dramatic follow-up to the unexpected phenomenon of Get Out, but also a movie that I, I don't think anyone really knew what it was. I mean, the, there was this sense of, you know, the, the, the doppelganger element, but the way in which it, you know, used this 80s reference point of Hands Across America to say something more profound and abstract about American society while also creating this amazing acting showcase, especially for Lupita Nyong'o, often playing two characters in the same frame from totally different universes, was just, it was, I mean, this is what I love about cinema. It's like when you can see a movie that creates situations that somehow relate to the world you're in, but also are taking you in places you never would have thought you were going. And it just, for me, totally cemented just what an amazing, totally sophisticated filmmaker Jordan Peele is. I enjoyed the movie thoroughly, and I am delighted that Nyong'o is getting recognized for that extraordinary uh, dual performance. I mean, it's it's good that she uh, is recognized for that. The movie itself, I, because... Um, Get Out was so perfect and so uh, something that he had worked on for so long and just polished every edge and every frame was perfectly figured out. This one was rougher for me. This one had more loose ends, more things that weren't tied up at all. And so I had some trouble with that. But um, I'm thrilled uh, that Nyong'o is getting recognition for her performance. Mark my words, you'll come back to this movie, whether it's in a couple of years or whatever, and uh, you'll you'll see some more stuff. It's a movie that I think is going to. It stick might around. lend itself to a second viewing. I'll give you it that. Might. I'd like to it see it might. again. All right, so number seven. I've got the Nightingale by Jennifer Kent, um, and I was blown out of my chair by this movie. And I did not laugh once uh, while I was watching it because it is one of the toughest sits you're going to find this year. Um, This young woman, Aisling Franciosa, however you pronounce that, uh, Franciosi, um, plays an Irish convict um, uh, and and she has a baby and she loses that baby in a very horrific way. 
and she goes on a quest uh, to get back uh, some uh, degree of self-respect. Uh, and she is um, brutally raped. She goes through a lot. Um, the, Jennifer Kent does not lose a beat and she doesn't pull back and none of her actors pull back. Sam Caff, Claflin is also very good in this as a very bad guy. Um, it is beautiful and exquisitely wrought. I, if you haven't yeah, seen it, a wild you must. Movie. It was in my, it was not in my top 10, but it was in my top 19. And she's just such an amazing filmmaker in the way this movie unfolds. It's sort of, it's designed not necessarily to shock you, but to feel the shock of the characters. And That's then right. the question of what catharsis actually looks like in the aftermath of going through something like that. Um, I am going for number seven with Marriage Story, and we've talked about it. Obviously, you know, I saw this movie very early and I thought that it was Baumbach's best piece of um, directing, not just a screenplay movie. And it had all of these amazing performances and the way that it gets inside the world of the divorce process, magnifying all these details while also making it funny and, and tragic and surprising. And there's just so much going on with this movie. I've seen it multiple times. It works in the room. It works on your own. And it's just a, a terrific piece of storytelling through and through it. I'm just really happy to see Baumbach keeping at it. Me too. So what's next? We're on to six. six. This Number is where six. I make my case for Alma Harrell's Honey Boy, which we talked about earlier. Um, uh, first of all, she maintained a relationship with Shia LaBeouf when everyone else had abandoned him because he was just off the deep end. And it was while he was in rehab that he sent her some some notes from, from some of his um, rehab uh, writing. And she figured out that he could turn this into a script and she figured out that she could wrangle him into playing his own father. And the um, and she got it financed and she got it made and she kept it together. It was a very difficult shoot. Noah Jupe is also amazing in it. Uh, Lucas uh, Hedge is, is amazing in it as the older uh, Shia LaBeouf character. And um, I recommend that everybody sit down and experience this movie, which she dedicated to children of alcoholics. And as one of those, I know I respond to this material as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Well, my number six is another movie we've already talked about, um, which is Parasite. And uh, I think that what I love about the Parasite phenomenon is that so many people are just absorbed by the, how well made it is. I mean, it's a movie that is, I mean, the at knowing that they built that house and seeing it again, I was able to just see how meticulous each shot is. And yet it's also funny and strange and surprising. There were new plot details that I noticed the second time around. And um, I just, I, I love how it's at once a very specific kind of story about class struggle and also something where, you know, many different people can relate to the emotion of the movie, the father son element or the family element and the, the kind of desires that they have to, to do different things with their lives. And um, 
you know, Bong Joon-ho is, is one of the, one of the masters. So it's great that this movie's getting out there and um, I'm, I'm really happy to, uh, to still be talking about it this time of year. Well, I had been, when I was at Cannes, I was saying that Les Miserables was my favorite movie at Cannes. And then I saw Parasite when I got back and yeah. I have to admit that Parasite is my favorite movie from Cannes. Retroactively, yeah. you can change so, your ballot. Um, so Number my five. next one is, um, where are we? Uh, five. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari. And this is a Hollywood movie, unapologetic as such. Um, it is James Mangold, one of those people who's capable of working inside the Hollywood system and yet making a character study that's also a sports movie. And what he does with Matt Damon and Christian Bale in this movie as the uh, designers of, of, of racing cars for Ford that go to Le Mans and Ken Miles is the driver and that's Christian Bale who's the heart of the movie um, really uh, can't deal with the suits that's Matt Damon's job um, he is uh, this kind of old, old school masculinity that, that we see a lot of in the movies this year, but this one is, is, is one of my favorites. Um, and it combines good old fashioned Hollywood narrative character study with uh, no holds barred action execution. And, and the characters make you care about what's going on on the screen. And that's what matters. Yeah, I thought it was all right. But I, you know, I gotta say the the, the <laughs> racing is it delivers. <laughs> the, it's just I, I just don't get excited about this movie. It's it's I'm still working on how to clarify those feelings. But I can tell you that as far as you know, kind of fast paced, visceral, exciting movie going experiences, you can't do much better than my number five, which is Uncut Gems, a movie that does not stop from the first frame to the last. You know, the, this is a movie, the Safdies, obviously, filmmakers whose work I've, I've appreciated and advocated for for a very long time. And it feels like they're working at the height of their powers, capturing a certain kind of, you know, crazy New York ecosystem, but also on Sandler's wavelength. Like, he is in this material in a way that we haven't really seen him do since Punch Truck Club, but it's a very different kind of movie than Punch Truck Club. It's a movie that actually plays to his his comedic strengths as well and and I just I love how absorbing it is how it's funny and shocking and appalling and then doubles back and you know at the end of the day it says some really interesting things about people who just can't stop themselves and end up on these um self-destructive paths to success so you know what a, what a, what a great cinematic achievement this movie is i am rooting for uncut gems to get some attention in the tech categories of the oscars this is my fantasy that it's going to be the the whiplash of this year and that it's going to end up with editing that's what i want because i think it's one yeah. of the best edited movies of the year yeah the sound the sound design is all amazing stuff. all things yeah. considered it, it's competitive i mean it has to go up against all the big hollywood ford versus ferraris you know but but yep. finally uh i think i think it deserves it um number four for me is martin scorsese's the irishman um, which I sat through all three and a half hours of it all in one go without moving a muscle with sheer pleasure and joy. And uh, I, 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 I watched it again when I got, uh, when it went up on, uh, on Netflix at home in my living room with a few more breaks, but it is a riveting saga 
and 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 a, and a fascinating um, use of uh, visual effects for the de-aging, which I don't have any trouble with. And um, I think that Al Pacino is the center of the movie as the Jimmy Hoffa character who does not go to the dark side. Um, and De Niro is trapped between his loyalty to him and his loyalty to uh, the mob boss uh, played by Joe Pesci, who is extraordinary. And so all three of these actors are getting nominations, I suspect. Um, but the movie, whether or not it does well at the Oscars, whether or not it gets rewarded is one of the great movies of, of this decade. Yeah, I've got lots to say about that movie, but uh, before we arrive at that moment, my number four is Long Day's Journey Into Night, which was like a film you mentioned earlier, 2018 title at Cannes in this case, but but came out this year from Kino, and it's not just because it's a 55-minute long take in 3D in the second half, but that certainly helps. And Begone is this amazing filmmaker who just does so, such fascinating stuff with, with the language of the medium and this noir story about a man sort of chasing the memories of a lost love puts you into a, a, a mindset that, you know, I haven't felt since I saw some of, you know, Wong Kar Wai's movies for the first time. It's like this very lush um, kind of abstract headspace that catapults into a totally different arena in that second half that's unclassifiable in a really beautiful way and it's just i've come back to it many times i'm just so struck by how every image in this movie is so well rendered it's really it's it's on another level as an experience i will have to catch up with this indeed i'll see transit you see long day's journey we we can compare notes notes. Um, number three marriage story i i couldn't agree with you more on this movie Uh, it's one of my favorites of the year obviously um and uh i think that it, it also rewards a second viewing um, you can see uh, more of the detail of, of, for example, the long single shot where Scarlett Johansson gets to tell her story finally uh, in Laura Dern's uh, lawyer's office. Um, and, and you can see the way that the perspective shifts from, you know, her story to his story and then their story. And there's some very complicated, thoughtful things going on to make this movie as as good as it, it really is. Um, we've, we've talked about it a lot and uh, it, it's, it's worth seeing more than once. Well, another movie that I think is just um, super exciting to watch from start to finish in a movie theater and many times over is Monos. That's my number three, because this film about uh, basically gorillas training in uh, in uh, outside Colombia, although it really they don't name the location, is um, just a, such an ab- absorbing and uh, rich kind of filmmaking, this Lord of the Flies kind of thing. It's a little psychedelic, it's, but it's also thrilling. You know, it's, it's got this, this sense of being inside this insular world where right and wrong don't really necessarily figure into the equation or if they do, it's because people are figuring it out on their own terms. And it's, it's a great survival story too. Just, I love seeing this kind of filmmaking it's just moves at a breakneck speed, but it was also made with a kind of DIY ethos where you're kind of surprised everybody survived the experience. And Mika Levy's score is, you know, rivals Jackie as one of her best uh, achievements. So everybody needs to make time to see Monos however you can. It's on iTunes. It's not as good 
on the small screen maybe, but it, but it's still a wild ride. And I, and I think that it should um, put Alejandro Landes, the filmmaker on people's radar for many years to come. Well, that is exactly what I was going to say, because I finally did catch up with it. Uh, thanks to your recommendation. And um, it is an, an extraordinary um, directing feat. And he got his actors to do things um, that make you believe that they're not actors. That's what he did. And uh, it's a horrific thing to experience, but it's also beautiful. Um, and Julianne Nicholson, by the way, was pretty amazing in it also. She's good, yeah. So number two. Parasite. Parasite, Parasite. Um, uh, Bong Joon-ho not only made a beautiful movie, elegantly wrought with extraordinary production design and cinematography and editing and all of that, but he and, and great acting, but he, but he managed to make it super entertaining as well um, and and funny. It's a comedy too, and and scary. It's also a horror movie. He has every genre you can think of mashed in there, and it's perfect. It has not one false move, and that's why so many people are responding to it. But it's not only that. He's showing us who we are right now. And as a zeitgeist movie, I suspect that Parasite is relatable to everyone. And that, too, is going to be part of the narrative of why it could be uh, the best picture of 2019. But then you have my number two, which is The Irishman. And what all I'll say about this, because we've exhausted a lot about these movies already, is that watching it back to back, on the first day that people started to see it more widely, which was New York Film Festival. Now, back-to-back meaning twice in one day, but still it was seven hours of a movie. Start one, one time starting at 9 a.m. and the other starting at 8 p.m. Um, made me really, really in tune with just how well Scorsese and his cast are able to work together. I mean, it's kind of unparalleled to have people almost 50 years that, that some of these people have been working together to, to make a movie like this that's so confident from moment to moment. It's not just about the details within the frame like I've talked about from other um, films on my list, but it's also just about how meticulously well thought through various exchanges are. There's like almost like a, a symphony type of quality to the rhythms of, of various exchanges and you're drawn into it even where you, when you know where it's heading and, and that last hour is such a fascinating gut punch because of the tonal shift and it's, it feels like it, it really could be the last gangster movie ever made. So go go Irishman. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a masterpiece. It's one of Scorsese's best movies and, and certainly a nice sort of cap on the kind of uh, narratives these people have been putting together over the course of many years. But we've arrived at our big finale here, and what is your number one? <laughs> the only movie that I have seen almost four times is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow. So I saw it at Cannes, I saw it again uh, back in L.A., and then I saw it again. And then when my aunt was here for Thanksgiving, I ended up watching the third act with her again. Um, I love this movie. I, I think it's remarkable. I can't get enough of it. it. It's about the business that we're all part of. It's um, a, an homage to 1969 Hollywood, the production design. I mean, just that one sequence where, where, of course, where, listen to me, Tarantino goes down Hollywood Boulevard and the different 
restaurants and marquees light up uh, the neon lights up and and you know on the eve of of the night of the manson murders just the the extraordinary shifts in tone the comedy the the um explosive uh anxiety that that Leonardo DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton experiences the scene with Julia Butters the scene in the trailer afterwards when he's freaking out that he made all those mistakes that's something that he and Tarantino came up with on set the idea that he would mess up a take the idea that that Tarantino could create this Western within uh, another movie uh, or that he would create something as ominous and disturbing as the Spawn Ranch uh, sequence or that, you know, just thinking about Brad Pitt in this movie and, and the character that he uh, managed to come up with, uh, you know, taking his shirt off uh, as he's doing the carpentry, the Zen calm that he seems to have uh, in spite of everything. And yet he's terribly dangerous, as we discover, when he's tripping on acid and, and you know, controlling his dog in, in the uh, finale. I love this movie. Can't get enough of it. What did you think of it, Eric? Well, I mean, I've been very public about what I think about it since Ken, although I do think I need to watch it again. I, I, I mean, you know, look, it's uh, Tarantino is an incredibly confident director and writer and works with amazing actors. And there's a lot about the way that this movie deals with Hollywood history and creative crises that, that I appreciated. I felt like to some degree, the things that held it back for me in terms of putting it anywhere near the top of my list is uh, had more to do with sort of an erratic tone with the, I didn't always feel like it meshed entirely well. I, I wasn't thrilled with the way that the story ended. It felt a little hokey at parts to me. So I, I, there, there are things about it that um, I think I, I, I need to revisit and think about a little bit more. But I will also say that perhaps on a personal note, it's such an L.A. movie and I'm a New York guy. What can I say? <laughs> you <laughs> are a New York it's guy. Certainly, yeah. It's certainly possible <laughs> that that's the factor here because a lot of people are like, oh, it's such a it really captures L.A. I'm like, well, maybe they're right. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not an L.A. guy. So what's so. your number one? My number one, I think we'll have less division on this one, is Pain and Glory. There you go. And this was a, one, a movie that I think people were surprised because it's, you know, look, I have, um, my sensibilities don't always gel with, you know, consensus. I mean, I, I like really edgy stuff that's trying, that's experimenting, takes really bold risks. I mean, a movie like Long Day's Journey Into Night or Monos, I mean, these are films that I, I realize require a bit, of, can be challenging to people who aren't you know, aggressively chasing after movies that really challenge their viewers in some way. And that's really exciting to me. With Pain and Glory, what, what was um, really gratifying when I revisited it was that I think that it, it actually does do that to some degree because it has one of the great uh, twists at the, in the last shot that I've ever seen in a movie. And so the second time I watched, I realized how well planned out all of that is, but also because it puts you inside the mind of this character by using every aspect of the, of, of Almodovar's filmmaking to do that. You know, the, the performance that we talked about is one part of it, but also just like these very specific scenes, how well crafted they are to gradually draw you into his world. I mean, I was just hooked all the way through. There's a sense of, of, uh, 
connectivity to it that just felt like, you know, if I see a great, you know, sculpture in an art museum, I'll, I'll be like, look, there, you cannot argue with the aesthetic merits of this thing. Every piece of it holds together in a very certain way. And I feel like Pain and Glory does that too. It's a 70-year-old filmmaker working at his prime. There is absolutely nothing else quite like it. So um, I approve, you know, Eric. I approve. It's got to be number one. It's got to be. That's it. I mean, look, as, as, as much as um, I, I love a lot of other films I've seen this year, sometimes you got to just put your foot down and, and choose one. I could have had 30 on my list. Well, I, I think had to the go with one 19. you published on the site, what was it, 19 that you had? 19 and inches up every year. Hopefully it'll be 20 oh, next please. year. Please. You, you got to be we'll disciplined see. about these things. Yeah. So on your tough. longer list, you did include a few documentaries. Do you want to share with us um, some of the top do- documentaries of the year for you? Very quickly, my, my number one documentary would be One Child Nation, uh, Nan Fu Wang's film about China's one child policy. I think that, you know, frankly, there's just nothing else quite like that in terms of uh, the way in which this film has, has been made, getting inside of Chinese society to tell the story of its one child policy. It's incredibly risky, and it's also an intimate documentary essay about Nan Fu Wang's own life and her child and how she's thinking about her family. And um, I just, I love that it, it, it balances those two things. So well. I love that movie and I could easily have, have picked that as, as my number one. I'm going to go uh, just for the sake of, of, uh, of, coming up with another one, because uh, there's so many good documentaries. I mean, I would say you've got to see For Sama, you've got to see American Factory, Apollo 11, Midnight Family. These are all worth worth checking out. But mine is um, Edge of Democracy from Petra Costa from Brazil. And it's related in a way to another Netflix movie, um, The Great Hack, in the sense that Cambridge Analytica and uh, these these very frightening um, attacks on democracy that come from uh, overseas, uh, they transformed a, a very well-functioning liberal democracy into a right-wing nation. And it is a scary thing to witness, and we should witness it because we're not so far away from being in danger ourselves. Indeed, indeed. No, it's, it, both both these movies I think are are a good illustration of what documentaries can do, which is cross over from the insular world of cinema and actually say something about society that can have a long term uh, impact on the conversation about it. What was so, great about One Child Nation was that I was so unaware of all the details of that movie. In fact, very few people knew as much as she found out and was able to tell us um, because she went over there and did the work. And uh, what's interesting too about these two movies, One Child Nation and Edge of Democracy, is that the filmmakers place themselves inside the narrative, tell the story with their own voices, and become characters in the story. And that's part of why they both have a lot of power. So um, in terms of animation, we didn't have any of that on our top list. What's your top animated movie of the year? I am going to uh, fight the good fight for Toy Story 4. (laughs) And there's a lot of really great animation out there. But I feel like, I don't know why I feel this way, but Pixar um, is sometimes taken for granted. And uh, what they do is so extraordinary. And the idea that you could actually top Toy Story 1 or Toy Story 2 or Toy Story 3 with a 4, 
that you could actually expand that narrative and come up with some other angles on it, which in this case had to do with the women characters. And um, so Woody has uh, a, a, an actual uh, opposite figure in the world that is female. So this, this, this was a great movie and um, Andrew Stanton and the women writers and the women uh, on the staff at Pixar all got together and managed to come up with an extraordinary movie. Well, the one that I will single out is uh, a, f- a film that also was at Cannes called I Lost My Body, which premiered at in one Critics Week, and uh, Netflix picked it up. So it, actually, everyone can watch this really cool movie about a hand traveling across France and the man who lost it trying to track it down. It's just it's just one of those movies where, I mean, I, I need to see it again and think about it more, but I just love how visually absorbing it is and how innovative it is and no it is nothing like the hand in the adams family it's a much more <laughs> kind of tender almost romantic kind of character study and i just uh, what's I really inventive like, and cool about it is the way totally. that it finds these little perspectives um uh, the, 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 you're looking at paris <laughs> in a very Indeed. different way totally um, I, I will it's never so unusual way. and and inventive uh, and graphically gorgeous uh, i Indeed. do recommend it too Indeed. So next week, and um, that's our top ten. Uh, good list. Oh, by I the have way, I have a, a feeling that I lost my body. Could be a. It's doing very well across all the different groups so far, including the Annie Awards, which is the animated uh, guild. I believe uh, it has a shot to unseat the others uh, for best picture, uh, best animated feature. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what happens there. I mean, presumably, you know, once it's nominated, it'll be. I, I, I want to get into a conversation with somebody about Toy Story 4 versus I Lost My Body because uh, they're, they are similar in certain ways. So we'll have to revisit that one. In the You're podcast. on. You're but, on, Eric. Uh, by the way, Netflix so, will promote like, the, the hell, hell out, out of, of I Lost yeah, My Body. Yeah, we're going to get some, some stuff in the mail. So um, next week we will have Cats and Star Wars to talk about. So nice to to round up the year with with some final surprises we'll see what that brings but i hope you enjoy the weekend in and i will talk to you soon bye-bye it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.